Welcome to week two of our New Year's teaching series that we are just calling Unstuck. I, I haven't heard back yet of if that is even good grammar or good English, but it's a good title. Because I recognize there are a lot of people that are stuck in life. They're, they're stuck in their relationships. They're stuck in their relationship with God. Or they're, they're stuck in their, in their thoughts even where they, they can't seem to get out of the self-talk that destroys. And yet the Word of God shows us a clear path for God to bring deliverance and God to bring freedom in our lives. And it's not only a clear path, it's God's will for us. He said that when we know the truth, the truth of what? <clears throat> and, he, and he made it clear. <clears throat> pardon me, can you give me a water? I'm sorry. Um, he made it clear that, that his desire for us is that we walk in that freedom and that we walk in that clarity. Because there's too often in our lives what I call self-repeating cycles of defeat. We do the same thing over and over again, and we expect something to change. Instead of finding a new way and a new path that God has for us. And so last week we began by, by looking at a, te a teaching that Jesus gave that doesn't make a lot of sense to us maybe now, but yet when you understand the context of it, it speaks into our hearts. And that's found in a few chapters ahead of that in, in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 2, where he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and worse, the tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And I shared last week, and go back online and listen to the message. We're not going to repeat it this morning. But Jesus didn't come to do a patch-up job. He, he didn't come to make your life better. He came to give you a whole new life. He, he came to change you from the inside out. These are not just Christian phrases. This is the reality of God's Word. And, and the teaching on the new wine was simply this. We sometimes operate off of old patterns or old understandings that are not capable to handle the new truth that God brings into our lives. And if we want to live a new way, we've got to sometimes change into a new direction, a new, a new path. And that's what this series really is about, is how do we find that pathway of becoming unstuck? Because, again, it applies to every aspect of our lives. I believe that, again, one of the major things for, for us right now, especially in this generation, is, is our thought life. There's so many that are struggling here, struggling with that mental health, struggling with these thoughts of anxiety or depression and all these things, and yet God has a plan for that. In fact, after Easter, we're going to be taking this series into what we call soul detox, where we just address them head on out of the Word of God and trust God to bring healing there. Relationships. I shared with you last week, there's too many marriages that over time end up being roommates instead of lovers and covenant partners, and God never intended it that way. They get stuck in a pattern where they give up and, instead of expecting God's best. And we're going to be talking about how to get unstuck in our relationships in February. Finances. How many know there's a lot of people stuck in finance? If I just could get more, I'll break out. You know that's not true. In fact, the way you break out is by trusting God with everything. What you have. It's not more. It's what you have. And when you trust God with what you have, then God brings the more. And then we're going to be talking about that in early February, late February, and early March. Because again, God wants us to be free and to break out in all these ways. But we have to recognize that we don't break out in the world's way. The world will teach you this. If you're stuck in an area, well, they'll say, well, you're not trying hard enough. How I many of that brings a little guilt and shame, right? Well, well, you're not trying hard enough. And that's what the world typically says. But it's not about trying harder. 
It's about receiving God's love and letting God's flow through us in a way that changes us and shapes our lives in a new way. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how God shapes us through our identity. Because truth is what really matters, guys. It'll be on the screen, but just to bring us back up to speed here, staying stuck is always the absence of or the insufficiency of or the misapplication of truth. It's not just knowing it, it's acting on it. It's one thing to know the truth, it's another to obey the truth, right? And and, and the distance, I I shared last week, the distance between the truth you know and the truth you actually walk in is, is, is the pain you experience, Back when people sit down with me and they want to counsel and I'm hearing their pain, I'm hearing where they're at, I know there's a gap between the truth they know and the truth they're living. Because God said that pathway is what leads to life in us. And yet so often we want to break out, we're just not willing to grab hold of that truth. Or we're too hung up on blaming our past instead of dealing with our presence. Guys, listen, this is so critical to understand. It's too easy to blame external factors for us being stuck. You're not stuck because you're ex- You're not stuck because of your parents. You're not stuck because the kids bullied you in school. You're not stuck because of the church that that lets you down. The the word tells us the greatest barrier to our freedom is not outside of us, it's inside of us. Because the only person that can take you out of God's will is you. Nobody else can. Nobody else can come in and, and disrupt God's will in your life, only you, because then you choose to go opposite of his ways. So guys, it's so important for us to understand this truth. So the last thing from last week, just to get us up to speed again, is remember that God wants us to operate out of our identity in him, not the, what the world has put on you. He wants us to see ourselves as sons and daughters of the king, who not only loves us, but is responsible for us. And our identity is so much more critical than what we do. We put it this way. We said that our identity, our identity is greater or more important than our calling or assignment. I got challenged a little bit by some last week, like, Pastor, you know, our calling is important. What we do is, it is. But unless you know who you are, you'll never do that well. Unless you know who you are, you'll never do it in a way that honors God. Listen, you can have the greatest calling in the world. I know preachers and evangelists and missionaries that have never settled their identity. So their whole ministry is about bringing glory to themselves instead of glory to God or affirmation to themselves instead of glory to God. So the the identity is where we have to start, and our identity is found through God's grace and God's love and God's truth. There's a statement this week I I came across, and it's on the screen. I want you to see this. It says, the hard but necessary truth is that we are deeply flawed and always vulnerable, but completely forgiven and totally adored by the Father. Isn't that good? Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, you're flawed. I know it, but God loves you. So you're going to wake up this morning. Some of y'all, that felt way too good when you said that to the person next to you. Like, you are flawed. Okay, be careful with your emotion there, all right? We are flawed, we are vulnerable, but we are forgiven and totally adored by our Father. So let's continue. Let's continue today moving forward. I shared with you last week, I know that a lot of times when we talk about something like finding freedom, we just want a quick plan. God, you know, give me three easy steps, we'll get there. We're going to get to the steps later, but I'm laying the foundation over these first two weeks, okay? So last week, we talked a lot about our identity, how we are found in Christ, and how that makes all the difference in the world. Today, I want to take that a little further, and I want to talk about the condition of our hearts, how we are set up 
to receive God's word or how we're not set up to receive God's word. And to do that, we're going to look at a story that's familiar. And let me just remind you again, please, those that have served God for a long time or are raised in church, just because the story's familiar, don't think you know it. Okay? Don't think you've squeezed all the truth out of it because God has something for us today. So Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4, this is our text today. It says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain, and other seeds fell onto good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Familiar story. But yet in it, we see truth about our condition that makes all the difference whether we're going to live in the freedom God has for us or not. Because in it, we see the four souls that it speaks of, and, and each one has a different ending depending on its condition. They, 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 they've all heard the word, so to speak. The word was sown onto the soil, but only one had a good outcome. Only one had a production that led to a, a permanence of fruit being born in their lives. But the others began the journey, but yet they didn't finish very well. Jesus would later explain that the souls represent our hearts. They represent conditions of the heart that have everything to do as to whether the word of God changes us or not. You see, the first soul, the soul that was along the path, it represents to me the, the heart that's, that's neither in nor out. It, it's not all in, it's not all out, it's just kind of on the edge somewhere, and that's where most of the world lives. So because of that, the, the soul's hard. There's no opportunity for the Word to God, for the Word of God to penetrate. Because again, there's a hardness there that doesn't allow the Word to come in and, and bear fruits. The second soul says it's rocky ground. It's shallow. There's, there's not much underneath for the, the, the work to get into. So the roots may form. It may spring up a little bit, but it's never going to last because, again, it's not prepared to receive the seed. The third soul is similar. It's, it has thorns, and the thorns choke out the word. And then there's a fourth soul, and that's where we all want to be, and that's the soul that's been prepared. And because it's prepared, it bears fruit, some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold in our lives. And one of the things we have to recognize when we read this story is this, the condition of the soil determines the penetration of the seed and the progress of the seed that is sown into it. In the same way, it is the condition of our hearts when we are in the presence of God listening to his word that to determine the degree to which we are able to receive, apply, and benefit from that word. That's why somebody can come in today and they hear the word and they leave this place transformed. Someone else can come in and they hear the word and they're like, well, I can't, well, when's the football game start? I'm hungry, I'm fasting, let's go. It all has to do with the preparation. It all has to do with the condition of are we able to receive or not. And what I want to do today is, is focus on a couple of these soils and talk about how we can better prepare them. And I, and I won't focus on the first soil, okay, because here's the reality. I believe you're here today because you're committed to the truth. If, you're, if you weren't, you wouldn't come to church on Sunday, all right? So I believe you want to be all in, whether you're all in or not, because there are no such things as kind of Christians. I had someone tell me that the other day. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm kind of a Christian. My filter was not good, and I just said, that's kind of like saying I'm kind of pregnant. It doesn't work. <laughs> you either are or you're not. Christianity is exclusive, church. Do you recognize that? You're not taking on one of a God. No, you have the God. 
And he has exclusive right over our lives. So I'm not going to talk to that first soul because I believe you are committed. Neither am I going to talk to the fourth soul because I believe it's already bearing fruit. That's where we want to get. But the second and third souls intrigue me. One had rocks, one had thorns. And I was praying through this and I was thinking, and I said, well, which came first? Was it the seed or the rocks or was it the seed or the thorns? Which was there in the beginning? Because again, if we look at it, each one of the cases of the second, third soil, they have what I call pre-existing conditions. I mean, looking at the rocky soil or the soil full of thorns, these pre-existing conditions kept him from being fruitful. In one case, it kept it shallow, it couldn't grow. In the other case, it choked the life out of God's word. And I believe they stand for something that is standing in the way of so many today of being free. And if you allow me, let me just break them apart to start with. I believe the rocky soil speaks to a lot of people in this room today. And a lot of people that are listening online. I believe the rocky soil represents hearts who've been wounded. Hearts who've been broken. When you experience hurt and trauma, and who hasn't, right? If I want to do a 100% altar call, all have been hurt, stand up, we'd have 100%, right? Our hearts get wounded. And when they get wounded, they get untrusting. And when they get untrusting, it affects the way we hear God's word and see God's word or even allow ourselves to, to try to act on God's word. Well, what if I get let down? What if it only leads to hurt? What if people misunderstand me? And because of that, the rocks begin to, to, to keep us from ever bearing fruit and being free. And, and what's interesting about the rocks is they are mostly things that you and I have no control over. A lot in our lives, a lot of sh- things that have shaped us, we've had no control over, have we? There, there are things like, like uh, hurts or words spoken against us or over us or traumas we've experienced or even genetic predispositions that, that are shaped who we are in this moment. But it's why I said last week, and I want you to hear this again and again this year, you may not be responsible at this moment for who you are, but you are responsible for who you become. Yeah. It's a big difference. You may not be responsible for who you are in this moment, but you are responsible for changing the way you are. And here's the reality about hurts, guys. We have the truth of God's word that brings healing to our lives. We have the grace of God that brings wholeness into our lives through forgiveness. We have the, we have the power of the Holy Spirit that brings clarity and understanding. According to Romans 12, our minds can be renewed by the washing of God's word. So even if we live in our past where we've been shaped by negative forces, God said, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. So we have to recognize God made a way to deal with the rocky soil. We're going to be having freedom group, as Heather said earlier, and that's something we deal with extensively in, in February. We'll get word out about that. But I believe the, the rocks stand for the hurts, but I think the thorns are totally different. In fact, in the progression of this parable, I believe that the thorns are what I would call misguided passions or self-absorbed agendas. Misguided passions or self-absorbed agendas. Because what they lead to is they lead to what the Bible calls idolatry. We don't like to talk about idolatry because we don't understand idolatry. I'm going to help you out here this morning. But they lead to idols of power, idols of pleasure, and idols of popularity. And the problem with those is this. (laughs) When you begin to live your life in the pursuit of those things, then you'll never be satisfied. When you live your life in the pursuit of those things, you're going to spend the rest of your days always trying to find acceptance, always trying to find more, always not satisfied with the identity God gave you in the first place. And because of that, it chokes out our passion. It chokes out our pursuit of God and what he has best for us. So we got to deal with that. 
If we're going to get unstuck, we've got to deal with that. Last week, I shared with you the example of me growing up out in the country in Texas where, where we would get stuck a lot because we lived on dirt roads. And, and one of the truths about, about getting unstuck is it wasn't about adding more power uh, in the sense of trying harder, but it was taking hold of something that was stronger than us. It was something to pull us out that was stronger than us. And I want to show you this morning how God has arranged through his word and his son Jesus to pull us out even from idolatry. Because again, the pursuit of these idols can seem very attractive. Listen, the, the, the allure of the world, the power, the pleasure, the popularity, it can seem more, more palatable than the, the love and the expression of God's love in our lives. And, and if we're not careful, we're overwhelmed by it because everything in our culture celebrates those idols. Everything says you won't be happy until this. You, you won't be whole until you get this. You won't be right until you get this. But the reality is you will never know who you truly are until you get God. And he's been with you from the very beginning, just as we prayed over this young man this morning. And the idols promise something they can't deliver. They promise freedom, but ultimately they lead us into bondage. Because instead of functioning from God's approval, and that's where our lives should be, we begin to function to gain approval, both from God and from man. I know I'm speaking to people today, you're looking for affirmation. You want somebody just to say, you're okay. Can I tell you, God's been shouting that at you from the moment you were created. And yet, the idols of the world lead us away from that to where now we're seeking it from everything else. So whether our hearts are full of rocks or thorns, they place us in a position of being stuck and unfruitful, and we got to break out. And the reason is, is they threaten our identity. They, they, they take us away from being who God created us to be, and then they limit our calling and assignment in the Lord. And they leave what I, what I see in people, these gaping holes in our souls. But can I tell you, God loves filling, filling those gaping holes in our souls. God loves overwhelming us with his love and showing us how whole he can make us. So what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we, how do we approach this? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on this morning. I, I want to take the time to, to show how to break the power of these idols over us. And the, these idols that are choking out the power of truth we find in God's word. Again, we don't like the word idolatry because we conjure up little images of somewhere in a foreign land, somewhere sitting over a little bronze or stone or wooden object and, and paying homage to that. But that's, that, that's not idolatry. I know that does take place. But church, our, our country has more idolatry than any other because we, we have lots of idols. We just don't put them in a shrine. Tim Keller's recently went to be with the Lord. Many of you may be familiar with him. Great gift of God to us as a pastor. He wrote in his book, Counterfeit Gods This, it'll be on the screen, a great definition of idolatry. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And anything that is so central and essential to your life that you should lose it your life would feel hardly worth living. That's powerful, isn't it? An idol is something that literally defines our life in such a way that we don't have it. It feels like life's not worth living. And isn't that what the enemy seeks to do? He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. So if we can be bound in that, then he has us in that place. But the reality is almost anything or anyone can take God's place in our lives. Success can take God's place. Even good things can take God's place. Pleasure, approval, power, control, wealth, acclaim. The list is endless. We can go on and on and on. 
But we recognize idols, I think, in a more clear way, and that is this. Your idol is what occupies your daydreams when you have nothing else to think about. It's what inflames fear and anger when anyone gets in the way of you acquiring it. How dare they stand in the way of this? It truly becomes your object of worship, promising that which only God can fulfill. I mean, it, it consumes us to the point we think about it. We plan for it. We fear losing it, and we long for it above all things. And what that means is we worship it, because that's the definition of worship. So we long for God. We plan to be in his presence. We seek him because he is our everything. That's worship. So let me give you some examples. If your idol is money, and I think one thing in Charlotte, there's a lot of idolatry over money and things, right? If that's what gives your life's meaning, then guess what? You're never going to have enough. Someone always got a bigger and better. Someone always going to have a nicer car, nicer house, nicer whatever. And if we live pursuing only money and the things that money can buy, then guess what? We're going to always come up short because it'll never be enough. Here's another example of your worship is your body or beauty. I have news for you. You do age. Y'all, y'all will get that. If, you, if you're going to live off of that whole mindset of, of beauty and imagery, and that's, that's what makes you you, guess what? You're going to always be chasing that the rest of your life. And age has a way about distancing you in that journey. If your idol is something like power, then you're going to feel weak because there's always someone that has more power than you. You're going to be afraid someone's going to take what you have and you're going to live in fear. That's why our nation is so heavily armed. We live in fear because we think power is what really is going to change everything. If you worship your intellect, you're going to live always worried about being exposed as a fraud because someone always is smarter than you are. You're not the smartest person in the room. Boy, this is encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Pastor Mike, I did tell you I had four hours of sleep last night. This is, this is coming good. So I want you to get a clear picture this morning so we see the good side on the other side. So what do you do with that, right? Because I'm naming these things. Some of you are going, mm, oh, God, I didn't know that was what I was doing. But what do you do? What do you do when we're wrapped up in anything that is not the Father's love? Sadly, the church doesn't handle it well. That's why I mentioned earlier that some of the hurts have come out of church. A lot, a lot of things in the past, the way you would deal with this is shame. How dare you? Let, let, let's take accountability. We're going to just put around and we're just going to tell you how bad you are. And hopefully someday you're going to wake up and see the truth and, and engage in that. But you know what it really does? It drives people away from the body of Christ instead of drawing people near. Oh, when I, when I follow you and I, I, I do follow you, not like on, so, but I, I know who you are, most of you now. And I start seeing patterns of people not being here. It's not just because they're out doing something different. A lot of times because they're battling this. And that shame and that guilt is driving them away from the very thing God wants them to be a part of, the body of Christ, where they can find hope and healing. Others, others have, have approached this in this way. They would just tell you, if you have more faith, you can stop it. Yeah. Yeah. You tried that one? God, if I just have more faith, I can stop it. No, there's, there is a way, but it's not in you. See, to get unstuck, you have to know the truth about yourself you need a plan, and you need a power that is greater than you. But if all of our approach is just what we can do, we'll never break out. So 
There's another way, and it was put so well by a minister named Thomas Chalmers. I'm going back to 19th century Scottish minister here, but I love what he said. He said, the only way to dispossess the human heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Say that again. The only way to dispossess the human heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. What he means is this. We don't change and become unstuck by trying to clamp down on our misplaced passions. We change. We take hold of the supernatural power of God by riveting our attention on his love for us and the power of his grace in our lives. Church, it is God's grace that becomes the expulsive power of a new affection. It is his grace that takes that idol and dispels it from our life so that now we see who is our God. And we bring glory and honor to him. In his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, Henry Nouwen, who is a a great devotional read, uh, he, he spoke about the sweeping changes that take place when we come to a place where we recognize that God's love is all we want and God's love is all we need. And he said this in his book, and it's on the screen again, your identity is as a child of God. This is the identity you have to accept. Once you have claimed it and settled it, you can live in a world that gives you much joy as well as pain. You can receive the praise as well as the blame that comes to you as an opportunity for strengthening your basic identity because the identity that makes you free is anchored beyond all human praise and blame. You belong to God, and it is as a child of God that you are sent into the world. I love that. He says, when your identity is straight, when your identity is God's, when your identity is in him, you live with a security that is beyond all human praise and blame. So what does that do? It keeps us from the comparison game. I think comparison is one of the greatest reasons people get stuck. You never live just to be you. You always be somebody else. Some of y'all got to let big sister go and live to be you. That's good preaching, Pastor Mike. Thank you. Some of you got to stop the words that maybe a father spoke over you and recognize the heavenly father has better words. I had someone tell me, say, well, pastor, I didn't have a father. Well, guess what? You have the perfect father now. The creator of the heavens and the earth is your father so much that he wants us to call out to him day and night. Why? Because he made a way of access to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we have the perfect father. So if my identity is firmly in Christ and my heart is receptive then to growing in his word, then I can live a life that isn't shattered by criticism. I was sharing with our pastors this week. You got to have tough skin and a tender heart to be a believer. Jesus said this world is not going to always like you. But yet the love of God compels us to go and share his love and to love people in spite of whether they love us back or not. So our life isn't shattered by criticism and isn't always desperate for thirsty for for validation from anybody else. So it keeps me free from the bondage of idolatry and it frees frees me from the curse of comparison. So let's wrap this up. How do I get unstuck? I know you are waiting for those four easy steps. In a few weeks, you'll get them. But until you settle your identity, until you settle the love of God for you, those steps won't matter. Because we're getting unstuck, it's through him. And the greatest way I can tell you this morning to become unstuck is to allow God to pour his love into you so that it transforms you from the inside out. That is the greatest way we get unstuck. Do you you wake up knowing you are loved by God? 
When life gets challenging, do you know you're loved by God? When you mess up, do you know that you are loved by God? Or do you run from him instead of to him? I love what the scripture says in John, 1 John 4, 19. It says we love because he first loved us. I used to get that backwards. I thought if I prove God to God that I love him, then he'll love me. I used to get that so twisted up. God, if I perform, then I'll show you why you have to love me instead of just accepting the fact he loved me first. You see, my love for God is a response to his love for me. I don't initiate it. He initiates it. But a lot of us get it backwards. A lot of Christians make the mistake of, of, of taking the consequences of receiving God's love, worship, and serving, and evangelism, and prayer, and leadership, and we turn them into conditions of deserving God's love. Instead, they're outflows. They're not conditions. Well, I'm going to show God I love because I'm going to serve in the nursery. Well, please serve in the nursery. That's good. But God loved you before you did that. Will he love you more? No. We will, but he won't. <laughs> Guys, we can't make the outflow of God's love's conditions. What we do in that to help you out is we, we, we think somehow we're able to earn or deserve God's love. And that's so backwards. Listen, God's love is a gift to every one of us. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. We never can. We never will. But so often we're stuck because we keep trying to do those things. I asked them to put this on the screen about a gift that says it is a gift and working to deserve it not only wears us out, but it also dishonors the giver of the gift. In my late teens and early 20s, I got tired of being worn out. Church taught me to get worn out trying to chase God when he had me the whole time. Guys, we can't dishonor him. Let me, let me put it in theological terms for you that want a little deeper here. What we do is this. If we're not careful, we substitute sanctification for justification. We trust our growth, our devotional life, our service, our ability to please God to make us right with him. When we've already been made right with him the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith, not by what we do. You say, Pastor, I'm following you, but I got a problem here. <laughs> I got a problem because the Bible says that we're to obey, right? Well, let, let's address that. Because you see, when we get it backwards, what happens is this. When we look at it as somehow we've got we've to obtain God's love, then we unplug ourselves from the only source of love, joy, and peace and power we have. But we struggle. And I think many people struggle because of a command that was found in John chapter 14. Show it to us, guys. It says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I learned a long time ago in English, commas have power. Commas have power. And the comma makes all the difference in the scripture. I've heard it preached to me. I've heard others do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Prove it. But that comma says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It'll be an outflow. It'll be, it'll be a natural thing. There will be something inside of you that says, I want to obey. I, it's not that I obey to be loved. It's I experience God's love. And by loving him back, I let that overflow and that glad obedience flow out of me so that whatever he wants, I do. And because of that, then I live in the freedom that his word promises. So pastor, do I have to obey the truth to be set free? Yes. 
but you won't do it unless you know he loves you. You won't do it unless you understand even when you mess up, he still loves you. You won't do it unless you come to that place where you say, my life is found in him, and in him I am secure, and in him I am growing, and in him I may have some rocks and some thorns, but he's taking those out so that now the word will produce a new life through me and in me. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So let me ask you this morning, how's that abiding going for you? Are you abiding in him and is his love abiding in you? Oh, you know me. Everything in me wants to give you those four steps, but I want you to know it won't do you any good unless you see the love God has for you. I know some of you today are coming in and you're living in disappointments. And those disappointments are creating this stuck part in your soul. You just can't get past it. And I have news for you. They become idols. They become idols. Because after a while, they become our identity. And if we're not careful, we hang on to that identity because it gives us security. Well, I am the way I am because I was hurt, Pastor. That's just the way it is. Or I am the way I am because I'm disappointed because of them, they, that. But God said, I've given you power to break free from all of that. I've given you power and love to experience freedom. I know some of you here today and, and you're, you're living in this betrayal. But pastor, do you know what they did? I don't. I don't know what that feels like. But God does because his son was betrayed. Those closest to him said, I don't know him as he went to the cross. And God can take that place in your heart right now where betrayals become this idol because it gives you comfort to say, I can live in my anger. I can live in my disappointment. And God's saying, but you can't stay there. And I'm going to show you the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is, I love you. And I'll heal that. Church, I could go on and on. And this isn't a group counseling session. It is a truth session. God wants you to know his love. Because when we do that, we get a security that allows us to live where we're not impacted by criticism or praise. We're not living to please anybody but God. And in doing that, guess what? It'll please a whole lot more people. His ways are good.